as a software developer, I know that without specs, I have no real idea on the time frame of any given project. This is a quote from uh, today's episode here in the Tech Emergence podcast where I'm lucky enough to catch up with Dr. Joshua Bach, who uh, works now in the MIT Media Lab as well as the Harvard Program for Evolutionary Dynamics. He's an AI researcher who's been involved in entrepreneurship and a number of research projects in this particular domain. And we speak to so the, the troubles and tribulations around trying to project when strong AI or human-level artificial intelligence may be developed. Joshua helps shed some light on some of the current trends in artificial intelligence that are trying to take us there, including deep learning as well as reinforcement learning, a notion that many of the folks who are tuned in today may in fact not be familiar with. So he just helps put a lot of the technical terms into layman's terms as we speak about what can we know, what could we predict about the future uh, trajectory of artificial intelligence itself. Uh, so without further ado, we'll delve directly into the episode. So Joshua, I'm, I'm interested uh, first in getting your perspective on you know being someone who's so involved in the, the field, the technical field of artificial intelligence. If you believe that at any point in the last five years, you think that we've made anything close to kind of more tangible progress towards maybe strong AI or artificial general intelligence, or if you see, still see that as kind of more mythical than anything else? In some sense, we did. In another, we didn't. Hmm. If, uh, we obviously have now applications that were unthinkable almost five years ago. That is, we now have systems that are able to approach human performance in some vision tasks and uh, other perceptual tasks, uh, we have uh, systems that are way better at automatic categorization than we had a few years ago. Uh, we have some small progress in terms of understanding the overall architecture of the mind, even though there is still a lot of work to do. If we, on the other hand, look more critical, we find that many of the ideas that we see in deep learning now are ideas that people already had in the 90s. And, yeah. um, in the 90s, they couldn't be implemented, or even in the 70s, because the hardware didn't exist. And so many of the progress that we see right now, small and incremental process that is driven by consistent work of researchers with much, much better hardware than before. Got it. So in some sense, we've made leaps in capacity, um, maybe not necessarily in all instances because we have astronomically better theories, but because and, yeah. we're, we're but the big yeah. the big difference that we have uh, is one in cultural perception of AI. That is, five years ago, AI was almost on the way out. We had this enduring winter of AI where many yep. people stopped believing that it would be possible, and this has changed now. So what we have right now is because it works so well, uh, and because some people have gotten extremely wealthy uh, by doing AI by building companies that leverage AI technologies an abundance of funding for AI. So during the last five years, there has been more funding for AI than in all of its history together. And most of this funding doesn't come from academic sources and more from data and so on, but it comes from company like, companies like Google. Yeah. And this makes it possible to make tremendous progress that wasn't possible before. So uh, in some sense, the biggest change that we had in the last five years is cultural, and it's an important one. Huh, I, you know, I agree as well because I, I think, you know, almost anybody tuned in, um, you know, the, the whole, I mean, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't there at the origin of the AI winter. I think that that was probably before I was a twinkle in my father's eye, so to speak. But, but, uh, but I think that now maybe between, as you had mentioned, between a series of acquisitions, you know, 
people are starting to get familiar with not just the chess-playing idea in, in the movies about Deep Blue, but they themselves are seeing books being recommended to them on Amazon. They themselves are using the, you know, Siri and, and, and hearing about AI. Google is, as you had mentioned, making acquisitions. Companies are getting attention. And I think also, and maybe you think this is a factor as well, I think also, you know, although the Terminator, we could say, had to do with artificial intelligence, I don't think anybody really considered it to be so. But I think these movies like Her and Ex Machina and Transcend uh, have have looked at a little bit more of a nitty-gritty picture of how AI might develop, maybe in a fantastical way, but in a way to kind of put it back on the radar. So I agree with you. I think that there's a, a big cultural uh, shift, and, and uh, it sounds like you don't necessarily believe that'll be slowing down anytime soon. Um, there will probably be a slight slowdown when people realize the limitations of the current push for deep learning and reinforcement learning. Reinforcement learning is probably going to be the next wave. Um, but it's not clear when it will let up. But there might be at some point diminished returns again and some disappointment. Um, but yeah. maybe we, are, uh, we have enough funding now to push us over the brink. I don't know. Uh, the ideas have been very popular for a long time, not just with uh, the Terminator movies, but at least in cybernetics, a sizable part of the uh, intellectual mainstream started to grasp the notion that minds are information processing systems. And even when we haven't figured out, well, we haven't figured out all the details of that information processing yet, uh, the direction is clear in which we need to do research. Yep. And, and it sounds like now a lot of that research is getting funded not just from the, you know, the, the NSF or, or from DARPA, but, but from companies buying companies interested in technologies and, and things along those lines. And maybe there's a, a degree of flourishing and an encouragement of that research that there wasn't before. Yeah. So in some sense, we could see the mind as a bunch of regularities that are implemented in our blueprints in the genome. And only a small subset of the genome encodes for our nervous system, and the genome itself fits on a CD-ROM. So the complexity of getting a mind to work once we know all the principles is not so big. But of course, reverse engineering the functionality is difficult. And yes. I guess that there will be a few hundred regularities of the no, difficulty of, say, reinforcement learning and so on. And maybe in deep learning, we've captured a dozen of them. And we don't know how long the rest of the way will be and how far the current uh, insights will push us and how easy it will be to get the next wave of insights. That means it's very hard to say how long it'll take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as uh, somebody who dreams and fantasizes about AI and has uh, read... Uh, stories about uh, robotics by Stanislav Lem and Ray Bradbury and Philip K. Dick and so on uh, in their childhood, um, it's very tempting to say, okay, it'll be done in 20 years or in 50 years or in 60 years. And uh, it's even more tempting to say, okay, as a scientist, I see from where I stand, there is maybe 200 PhD theses. And once we've done them and, and integrated them in a common framework, maybe there is uh, about 10 times that much more, and then you'll be done. Um, but as a software developer, I know that this is all a pipe dream. If I don't have a specification, I don't know when it's done. Yep. It can be order of by any order of magnitude. It could also be that there's some kind of silver bullet that we don't see, that there are very few unifying principles. If you get those right, then we are done, and we just don't know what these principles are yet. So in my perspective, uh, I couldn't say how long it takes. 
Got it. Uh, you know, if, if you were going to flip a coin, would you be in the camp that at some point, given, let's say, your own lifetime, uh, you're more likely than not to see some a you know strong AI equivalent, or on a coin toss, you know, would you more than likely be a little bit more pessimistic about seeing something like that within within let's say our lifetimes here? It's entirely possible, I think, that it uh, can happen, but I have a difficulty to put a probability on that huh, because yeah. it's uh, depending on so many things. Yeah, One of, of them is also. How long are we going to have a civilization with universities and big companies? We are facing um, probably global warming of something like uh, four to six degrees centigrade in the near future, and this means that it will be very difficult to have large-scale agriculture. And if we don't have large-scale agriculture, then people will destroy the infrastructure before they die off. And uh, after that time, it will be very hard to do AI research. Yes, yes, for, for so, sure. So uh, basically, it will be a toss-up if we get to AI before we kill ourselves off. No, I, I think that that's uh, uh, perfectly reasonable. I mean, there's uh, been, been many a species before us that, uh, that ain't around today. Um, and uh, I, I, think, I think that, you know, without any fetishism around being henny-penny, I, I think it's more than worthwhile to consider existential risks um, and, and, uh, you know, take Bostrom's work seriously, which I think more and more so it is, uh, which is nice for those of us who thought he was cool before the world did. Um, so with, with that being said, it sounds like, you know, putting a finger on is obviously a pretty darn difficult task. And, and of course there's a lot of serious social, economic, environmental concerns that you or I, and, and nobody can conceive of in their entirety or, or anything close. Um, just in terms of touching base on where the progress is happening today. You had used two terms. You'd mentioned deep learning and reinforcement learning. Now, I, unfortunately, I have not been able to get a PhD in every topic that I have had guests on with, which would, I think, I don't know, maybe be 20-something, 50-something PhD. In terms of uh, artificial intelligence and what reinforcement learning is, is this what we've seen with uh, training machines to see what a dog is, what a cat is, um, things along those lines, this, this notion of kind of reinforcement um, learning of... Uh, articulate that idea for the folks who are tuned in and may not be familiar with the technicality. Well, there is this interesting question, what is a dog and what is a cat and how can we see what they are? <laughs> yeah. uh, because in some, on some level it's related to how we interact with the world. And arguably our AIs are not smart enough to interact with the world a lot. So uh, what they do right now is they look for features that they can organize into the right kinds of hierarchies. And that's part of the semantics of stuff, is how we can recognize them. Yeah. This recognition is, um, in, in our minds, to some extent based on hierarchies of feature detectors. And with deep learning, we can emulate um, some aspects of this. So we have a slightly or maybe dramatically simplified model of how our perceptual system works in terms of the recognition of images, uh, recognition of sounds, phonemes, and so on, and also um, with respect to the recognition of actions and events. And we are only probably beginning to exploit the beginnings of the ability to build these hierarchies of feature detectors. Got it. And now this, the, this notion of, and I, I know that... Uh, Machine vision, uh, for example, you know, when, when I've spoken with other folks about the AI winter, machine vision was one of the facets of 
intelligence and interaction with the world that I think a lot of folks had assumed decades ago would be significantly easier than it turned out uh, to be for us, but now we've picked up some steam. That whole uh, feature detection that you were speaking of, what is a dog, what is a cat, it, and, and the repetition of that, is that, um, is that the reinforcement learning notion that you had articulated, or what does reinforcement learning imply, and sort of how does that relate to the, the, the concept of, of deep learning, which I think some people are at least colloquially familiar uh, there is some connection. Uh, deep learning is mainly about uh, getting um, neural networks with many layers to work. And most of these neural networks are convolutional neural networks, a particular uh, family that in some sense has been around since the 70s, but um, now has been applied successfully to tasks like vision. Yeah. And uh, reinforcement learning is uh, also a very general term, and um, it is related to taking a signal from the environment and, build, uh, and use this signal exploited to build the right kinds of representation, to anticipate um, the behavior of the world and uh, coordinate your actions in such a way that you come up with the right policy to maximize that signal. Huh. So, uh, in a way, what we are doing as, um, as both of these things, as, um, as humans, we are getting signals from the world. For instance, we learn that uh, if we do this, we get hurt. If we do this, uh, we get pleasure. And we get these pain and pleasure and uh, signals on many dimensions. And we are able to make sense of the world by identifying goal situations, suitable behavior, and gradually making more and more sense of the world based on these reinforcement signals. And, yes. Uh, another thing is that we just try to organize the world by saliency. That is, that we try to identify the number of statistical dimensions that our perceptual input has, and we come up with time and space and color and uh, sound dimensions and so on and use them to organize the world into features. And then we discover object permanence, and we discover um, mental states of people, and we come up with mechanical explanations of things and intentional explanations of things and so on, and use those to organize the world. And, and those, are, those are all abstractions upon abstractions upon abstractions that simply teaching a machine to maybe recognize a dog doesn't imply even a shred of the rest of what you had just articulated. Then one of the questions is how, how much do we have to put into the machine in the first place? How much do we have to hardwire to make the machine do these things? Yeah. It's, it's of course related to the question how much is hardwired in our brains? Yep. And uh, how can we understand what it is and how can we get it to work in similar ways as, we, as it works in our brains? And it seems to me, Joshua, and this has just been a reflection on my own, and, and I, I can imagine I'm not alone here. Uh, Having somebody who's who worked in sort of the psychology domain during graduate school, um, just speaking with folks in the field of AI and 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 uh, talking with folks about the theories of AI, it almost seems as if it sheds more light on what our own awareness and thinking and processing and acting uh, might be like and how it might work in a way that maybe psychology doesn't even. Uh, not to say that it makes it obsolete in any way, but but it seems as though when you when you know you had just articulated how how we build these theoretical models and we understand object permanence and 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 emotional states of people and 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 whatever else it seems like if you're if you're aiming to construct intelligence you almost have to develop a deeper understanding appreciation and and uh grasp of sort of the nuances that it's composed of to to do ai you know for for lack of better terms to do ai mm -hmm. 
I don't know if that's safe to say. Um, but uh, but it, it appears as though it kind of sheds its own uh, sheds its own light in those in those domains and departments. Uh, my my last question for you, Joshua, uh, with respect to um, the recent attention that that AI's gotten. You know, I think you had mentioned kind of the cultural shift and a lot of the funding not just coming from DARPA uh, anymore in in select labs at big fancy universities, but but coming from the the private sector, etc. Uh, the the media space kind of picking up some attention. I think that also you know the comments made by uh, Elon Musk and the comments made by Bill Bill Gates and the comments made by uh, Stephen Hawking have in and of themselves sort of drawn greater attention to artificial uh, I- intelligence. And there's nothing like a little bit of a scare to sort of draw attention to things. I know that there's some folks um, who are maybe a little bit more in the nitty gritty of the AI field than, than some of those folks, all of whom I, I certainly admire, who might think, well, you know, uh, that perspective right now is somewhat unreasonable and unfounded and maybe not the way that we should be drawing attention to AI. Other folks really believe that, that we should have a little bit of that shock early on, and thank goodness it's coming from those people because maybe this is the way that we need to start thinking about things. What is your perspective there on, on the recent sort of drum up of... of you know, articulated concern from from some of these big movers and shakers in business and science. Part of that is probably um, resulting from the fear that there might be a point when humans are no longer the primary agents on this planet, and other agency takes over, and this agency might have goals that is not well aligned with ours. Yeah, and. Uh, eventually might lead to our demise as a species. No, I, th- I think that that's perfectly reasonable, assuming yeah. that there were something smarter than us. That's already happened, I think, because uh, right now, if you want to do something, change something on the planet, and you probably won't be able to do this as a person. You want to be an organization. Yep. And for instance, a large corporation like Google or um, ExxonMobil or something like this. So yep. if you are a, a company, you are employing people, you are borrowing their intelligence to fulfill a particular organizational role. And if a person acts up within your organization is no longer fulfilling your organizational role and you as an organization want to survive, you're going to replace that person by somebody else who is better aligned with the goals of the organization. And there's some kind of evolution going on among these organizations. Huh. And part of this um Evolution is how well they perform in the marketplaces and the financial systems, how well they are able to battle other organizations to persist and stay uh, where they are, stay in power, spread, become more influential. They have agency because they have their own goals. They have pursuits often longer than individual humans. They have knowledge. They probably don't have self-awareness in the sense of consciousness, but they are agents. And at some point, they are going to use AI. They're already starting to use AI for decision support. And at some point, they probably don't need humans anymore, anywhere in the loop. I don't think that this will make a big difference. It will make the whole system more efficient. But the idea that AI is going to do something where little Roomba robots become sentient and then try to clamor for human rights, and we have to discuss whether we give this this to them, is uh, very unlikely. It's more... AI is going to come from the top as an extension of business intelligence. And corporations right now would not be interested in applying for human rights because they have already more rights than humans. Uh, So uh, it's super dangerous if we make corporations more powerful because right now sometimes corporations do things that are not in the best interests of humans. For instance, corporations might be interested in burning fossil fuel because uh, 
it's already pressed in the stock market uh, uh, course. And if they stop burning that fossil fuel, they incur huge losses. Of course, if they burn that fossil fuel, they might hasten the demise of mankind. Um, so right now, they don't care about these externalities. They do care about those parts of the equation that are part of the fitness function. And if they make this more efficiently, then the chances to stop them are uh, becoming slimmer. But I believe that the difficulty of making a world that is safe against AI is very much aligned with the difficulty of building a world in which the different components of our society and economy are aligned with the well-being of humans. I, I think that that's a, uh, uh, an apt insight, and I, I've never heard it put that way. You had made the analogy between an artificial intelligence and, and an organization. As my last thought to sort of poke and prod that as we close out here, Joshua, you know, we're, you had mentioned that artificial intelligence, as, like you said, you know, the Roomba robots are not going to start talking to each other at night and uh, asking that they be given time for leisure and you know, uh, given arms so that they can work on their watercolor skills or things like that. Um, it, you, had, you had mentioned that, from your perspective, artificial intelligence will come from the top as an extension of sort of the, the, the grander connectedness of these bigger organizations, which are bigger organisms in some way. Um, you know, so it seems like AI will make these companies more powerful. You had expressed a bit of concern there. Then again, we're seeing that, ex that concern expressed from the Musks and the Gateses of the world, maybe sort of the consummate uh, technology entrepreneurs, owners of these large companies, would, would they, assuming that artificial intelligence would sort of lean the power in their direction first, would it seem odd that they were the first, or at least, at least the first to kind of have the, the megaphone on it in, in a bigger way, outside of kind of the, the Future of Humanity Institute and, and other kind of smaller groups? Does it seem odd that they are trumpeting that notion? No, it doesn't. Huh. Especially since trumpeting that notion won't stop AI. Uh, people are not stopping funding in AI because they are afraid of it. They would stop funding in AI because uh, they think it's not possible. Uh, you also have to bear in mind uh, well, Elon Musk has just uh, given generously and uh, for good purposes the future of life institute, for, yeah. uh, support uh, research into AI risks. Yep. He's uh, probably spent 10 times as much for research into AI because he is interested in building self-driving cars and so on. Yep. So uh, at the same time, he is funding AI research itself and he is, uh, there's going to be much more research into the technology itself then they're going to be researching the risk. And I guess both are important. Whenever you drive a major new technology, it does make sense to look into the risk. Huh. So maybe it makes political sense for him to have a, a, a foot in that box. Uh, yeah, as... but maybe it also makes technical sense. Maybe he should be concerned um, about uh, some of the dangers that are associated with AI. It's not an all or nothing. It's about eventually about probabilities. And... Um, it does make sense to uh, lower the probability of uh, our demise by uh, some untoward effects of for, AI. For certain, uh, yes, lowering the probability of our demise, uh, that, that's, a, that's a good place and to end here. And uh, dollars, you might, uh, it's probably a lot of money if you or me have it in the bank, but uh, 
given the amount of money that we currently spend on AI research, it's really not a lot. No, it's not astronomic. I mean, relatively speaking, from uh, from his mm -hmm. perspective, I can imagine. Okay, got it. Well, Joshua, thank you so much for being able to share your insights uh, here on the Tech Emergence podcast. Um, I, I've seen you first through some of your talks and and. Uh, some of the other links that were sort of sent along when, when your name was put in front of me here. If people want to learn more about the research that you're up to out there at MIT or, or elsewhere, uh, where would they go on the web to find you? Uh, they should look for MicropSci, which is the cognitive architecture that I've been working on in the past and uh, still am. Uh, we also have a small company, MicropSci Industries, uh, situated in Berlin, where we uh, develop some of the technologies, um, for instance, um, models of mental representation and of motivated learning. And Got it. So micro, um, MicropSci is the, the site mm -hmm. for you? Perfect. Very good. Well, Joshua, again, thank you so much for being here on the show. You're welcome. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.